Welcome to the online sermons at King Street Church. Feel free to listen or watch online at kingstreetchurch.com. We're located at 162 East King Street in the heart of Chambersburg, PA, and would love to see you in person at one of our five Sunday services at 8.15, 9.45, or 11 a.m. We certainly hope you enjoy this morning's message. Glad that you are here. I put a picture up here. This was on Facebook uh, yesterday of our team in Haiti, uh, our Kaye. I've actually had the opportunity to be here uh, a couple of times, and uh, this is a picture of the group of children that are gathering. We're doing sports camp, VBS, uh, various construction projects. It is so cool to have a team of 21 high schoolers, seven adults. Uh, church, you have been a part of all of this for years. Maybe you don't even know it. We've been sending um, help and teams and support uh, to our Kaye. This church building uh, actually has been constructed in the last three or four years by numerous, well, by the folks there, but by numerous teams, 15 or so teams that have gone down from King Street. And uh, we have actually, I don't know if you knew this, but for every dollar that that church has given, we've matched it to the tune of $3 in order to make all of this happen. So thanks be to God. And, and now to have a team of, uh, of students down there loving on these kids. Many of you sponsor these children. Uh, we have a monthly sponsorship program. And here's Jake Gaiman teaching, uh, giving a, a Bible lesson. Looks like flannel graph. Yes, high technology. No, I'm, I'm kidding. That does not. That's close, though. Um, but uh, how cool, and uh, just we, we keep them in our prayers for sure. I also, I just felt compelled to call us to prayer today for something that's happening right now. Have you been following this story of the 12 boys in Thailand that have been trapped up in this cave uh, for the last few weeks? Yes, no, maybe so. You've been following that story? Yeah, they are getting them out right now. Uh, they have sent a team of uh, Navy SEALs, a dozen SEALs, way up into this uh, cave and, and, and tunnel and way back there. And six of the 12 boys are, as of five minutes before the service, they're out and, and in the hospital look, being looked over, uh, good shape. Right now, two more are being ev evacuated. That's just awesome. And uh, we need to, yeah. Yeah. Um, Yes, I feel the same way. So, Lord, we just pray for, for that episode, for that event right now. Lord, we, we, our hearts break for the one, for the family of the one Navy SEAL that lost his life a couple of days ago, just getting trapped. This is dangerous, Lord. And, um, and so, Jesus, we just pray uh, for, thank you for these six boys that are out. Pray for the two or three that are being evacuated at, right at this moment. And uh, Jesus, for this coach and for their families, we just pray for them right now, God. We do. Give them safety. Rescue them. And Lord, uh, we also we pray for our, our teams. We pray for the team in Haiti right now. Haiti uh, can be a crazy place in terms of political unrest, and we don't take anything for granted, Lord. So we, we just pray over this team and safety and uh, and for our teams that are going right here locally, starting today, Lord, uh, for the Chambersburg Project, we just give them over to you, Lord, and pray for them. And uh, thank you. You're good, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 
Take your Bible, if you would, grab it out of the back of the pew. Hopefully you're bringing one or your hand held. And turn with me to John chapter 12. We are continuing our series this year called Life in His Name. Uh, that's taken from John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, where John tells us why he wrote the gospel. He said, I have written this gospel, these things. Jesus did a lot of other things, John said, that I haven't even included here. But these things I have included, writing to you so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and the Son of God. And that by believing these things, you might have life in his name, life in his name. That's why John penned this gospel. And we have uh, come to chapter 12. I'm going to read you the first 19 verses. I'm actually, I just for the sake of, of kind of run in, I'm going to dip into the last five, uh, I'm sorry, three verses of chapter 11. So look at 1155 and follow along with me if you would. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover... Many went up from the country to Jerusalem for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders. Anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it so that they might arrest him immediately. Well, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a, about a pint, 11 ounces, they figure, of pure nard. It's an expensive Perfume, I would add, from only available from the north of India. Very, very rare and expensive. She poured it on Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It's worth a year's wages. Well, I looked up what that would be equivalent to in the U.S. current. That's about $44,000 is uh, an average annual wage in the U.S. He didn't say this, though, because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. John gives us that insight. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there in Bethany and came. It was only two miles from Jerusalem. Not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Well, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, as it is written. 
Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Well, at first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Not in real time. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb, raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, they went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. You know, I spent a lot of time this week, last couple of weeks, particularly this week, saying, okay, Lord, what, what's the heart of, of all of this? What's kind of, if you will, the big idea? What is really going on? And this really is what I believe to be at the heart of, of this account. As followers of Jesus, that's us, here we are, we need to be constantly reminded that what appears to be one thing on the surface is not at all what God is doing at a much deeper level. I'll say that again. Church, we need to be reminded regularly that what we think is happening on the surface of things in real time isn't at all, quite often, what God is doing in a much deeper level. Way. We talk a good bit here about the upper story and the lower story. The upper story being God's bigger plans, God's eternal plans, His purposes that are high above our purposes, right? And then the lower story. I just think this is a very helpful way to think about life. I think it's why we need to be here Sunday after Sunday. It's why we need to be in the Word day after day. It's why we need to be in prayer constantly and regularly because we have God's upper story and our lower story. And we don't always understand in real time. The lower story is just real time. It's the things we can see and, and, and the life that's happening as we know it without fully understanding the upper story. I thought about that in light of this account. We have, uh, you know, this dinner, this banquet being given in Jesus' honor. And I wrote the word, woohoo! Because that's, I think, what was happening on the surface, right? Woohoo! Was this banquet that is being given in Jesus' honor, which, by the way, the more I really have thought about it, I, I don't necessarily think it was at Lazarus and Martha and Mary's house, although Martha was serving. But it, it specifically points out that Lazarus was there in attendance, which, of course, he would have been if it was at his house. It doesn't say in John's text where this happened, but I'll get to that in a minute. But nonetheless, there's this banquet. And there sits Lazarus. And we have this providing kind of jet fuel for Jesus on the next day on Palm Sunday. So this is, they call it Lazarus, uh, Lazarus Saturday. Um, Palm Sunday, the next day, is the triumphal entry, as I was raised to call it. Palm Sunday. The triumphal entry. And then the words of the Pharisees, the whole world is for him. All of this has a lower story feel of what? 
Woo, this is amazing. I mean, what, a, what an awesome thing. But then we see the upper story. And what's really going on, I'll tell you what's really going on. Jesus is going up to Jerusalem the next day to ultimately offer up his life as a sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. So that while in the lower story there is this palpable sense of celebration, in the upper story, no, it's a, it's a whole different ball game. And in fact, in the lower story, it is prompting everyone around Jesus to continually ask this question. Who is he? Who is Jesus? I was talking to my wife the other day about a story she heard in her, in her Sunday school class about Someone in the church here at King Street that uh, on, I think, Friday afternoon, but on a given uh, day, uh, generally every week, they gather for lunch or a break, and it kind of it's their practice in the workplace to ask a, very, a question to get everyone thinking together in, you know, in, in the office. And on this particular day, the question was asked, if you could have the answer. If you could ask one question and be guaranteed the response, the answer, the true answer, what question would you ask? It's an interesting discussion starter, isn't it? If you could ask one question and be absolutely certain that you would be given the answer, what question would you ask? Well, she said that a number of people said, well, you know, who killed JFK, right? The whole conspiracy thing. But someone there in the group spoke up and they said, I'll tell you what question I would ask. Who is Jesus? Who is he? And it was asked, apparently, in the, in the context of that group, from the standpoint of someone that honestly was a seeker. They wanted to know. You know, we live in a world, folks, where people really honestly, if they're at all thinking people, are asking this question, who is Jesus? And as I looked at this account here in John 12, verses 1 through 19, I see a number of people involved in the story. Mary and Lazarus and Judas is involved. Then we see the crowds, the ever-present crowds of people. And the Pharisees, very prominent in John chapters 6 through 11 and 12 now. And then the disciples. And I wanted to look at this question through the lens of these various people. Who is Jesus? And let's first think about Mary. And I will tell you that I believe that Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, there's numerous Marys in the New Testament. Mary, of course, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who, uh, Jesus, who had come to Jesus up during his time in ministry uh, up in Galilee. And then this is a, a third Mary, another Mary, who's the sister, as we saw last Sunday, of Lazarus and of Martha. They live just a couple of miles outside of Jerusalem and Bethany. I believe that Mary, the sister of Lazarus and Martha, is, get this, the first person who not only understands who Jesus is, but why he came to the earth. She's the first person, I believe, that really, truly, fully understands, as the old song by Michael W. Smith says, his secret ambition, right? Nobody knew his secret ambition. Nobody knew why he came to this world. And everyone thought it was to lead a rebellion. Even the disciples 
until after the resurrection. They didn't even understand why Jesus came to die, to die, to give his life on the cross. In fact, look with me at Mark chapter 14. There's some parallel accounts in, in Mark and Matthew. Luke actually records the account of, uh, of another woman, sinful woman, it says, that uh, anointed Jesus up in Galilee, uh, probably a year or two earlier. But I believe that Mark and Matthew give us some insight into a, um, you know, a parallel account of this. Look at, at verse 3. While he was in Bethany, Mark 14, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper. See, I, I do believe that, uh, that this is where this banquet is being hosted in Bethany, at Simon's place. A woman, I believe Mary, came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, and she broke the jar, pouring it not just on his feet, as John tells us, but also on his head. We later see on this account that Jesus says, she's poured this on my body, on my body. And, and, uh, and I believe that we see her pouring it not only on his feet, but also on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, that chorus led by Judas, and they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus says. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with me, but you can help them anytime you want. She, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, including this morning, right here, right now, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And why is this so significant? It's, it's because I believe she was doing this to prepare Jesus for his burial. And why? Again, in John chapter 12, verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus said. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Why is that so significant? It's because Mary saw the upper story. And where did she see it from? What vantage point? It's very interesting because we meet Mary three times, one in Luke and twice here in John, Mary, the sister of Martha. And in all three occasions, guess where we find her? At the feet of Jesus. We see her in, in chapter uh, 13 of Luke where Jesus is, they, they host a banquet and Martha's very, very busy serving as she is again here in John chapter 12. But where is Mary? She's seated at the feet of Jesus soaking in every word. And then in chapter 11 last week, after Lazarus has died and, and Mary goes out to meet him, where do we find Mary? Literally, according to Scripture, bowing in the dust before Jesus' feet. And again, here at this banquet, where is Mary? Mary saw the upper story from the lowest place in the room, which was at the feet of Jesus, which interestingly enough, is exactly where Jesus himself will be in five short days in the upper room. What does Jesus do in the upper room? 
He gets down and washes the feet of his disciples and then says this, hey, church, do the same. Your job is is to place yourself at the feet of other people. Mary saw the upper story from the lowest place in the room, on her knees, before Jesus, seeking his glory. She was aware that what appeared to be one thing on the surface, the triumphal entry, all the energy, all the joy, all the mojo, no, 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 was completely different at a much deeper level, was the cross. She saw the cross. And for that reason, I believe Mary is is heralded throughout all places and all centuries because she saw the upper story. Then we see Lazarus. I mentioned last Sunday that I preached my very first sermon in seminary on this 11th chapter of John and Lazarus. And this is what I pointed out about Lazarus, that we see Lazarus in three conditions. First of all, he's dead. Physically, and I I drew the parallel to spiritually dead. Although he, he wasn't, he was more alive than ever, but nonetheless dead. Second of all, defeated. What does that mean? Well, he... When he was raised from the dead, he was still bound up by all these grave clothes. He was alive but bound by all the stuff that wrapped him up when he was dead. Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. He was dead, he was defeated, and then I I use the word dangerous. I get that from John chapter 12, verse 9. What does it say? It says that many people... Uh, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there, came to not only see him, but to see Lazarus. So the chief priests were making plans to kill Lazarus because many people were coming to Jesus on account of him. So from dead to defeated to dangerous. But when I think about the upper story and the lower story, I thought about this. How can we begin to fathom what Lazarus understood about who Jesus was and the upper story. He had been in the upper story for four days. And there he was enjoying the very presence of God the Father when he hears a voice, Lazarus, get back here! How do you think Lazarus reacted to that? (sighs) Really? (sighs) Okay. Right? He's in God's presence. The last thing he wants to do is put skin back on and and end up back on earth. How can we begin to fathom what Lazarus understood about who Jesus was and the upper story? Oh, the perspective that Lazarus had of of who God is. And then we think about Judas. You know, Judas in this story, well, of course, he's the great betrayer. But I think it needs to be pointed out. When he said, wait a minute, hold on, hold everything. Why is she giving all of this money and pouring it all over your feet and into the dust, into the dirt? No, no, no. This money should be given to the poor. We need to be doing something with this money. I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. He looked real good on the outside. Would you not agree? That's a pretty PC thing to say. It really is. Wait a minute. We need to be thinking a little more about what's going on here. But then John gives us some real insight. He was greedy to the core. He was greedy to the core. In fact, he, in just a few short days, is selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. His love affair was not with Jesus. It was with money. 
And before we're, well, we need to be very hard on Judas, but let me just say this. We need to be hard on ourselves as well. Because Judas was completely blinded to the upper story. The upper story was playing out right in front of him. Think of the contrast between Mary and Judas. That's part of what John wants us to see here. That Mary, in her worship and in, in her adoration of Jesus, sees the upper story. And Judas, in his love for this world and his love for himself and his love for greed and his love for money and his obsessions and his addictions and his materialism, is absolutely blinded to the upper story. And church, it's the world we live in. He looked real good on the outside, but he was greedy to the core. And then we think about the crowds. I will use three words to describe the crowds. First of all, curious, right? They just wanted to see the show. Wait a minute. We heard Lazarus is alive. Whoa, let's take a look at him. Second of all, they were very political. Everything about the triumphal entry, folks, from an earthly perspective was political. In fact, even in my study this week, I learned that, that the palm branch was much like waving a flag. Imagine the people, instead of waving palm branches, were waving Israeli flags as Jesus made his way down Palm Sunday Road because the palm branch was literally on the Israeli coinage on both sides. It was a symbol of national pride, much like a flag is. This was a highly political event in their eyes. They were heralding the man that they wanted to elect to lead a rebellion against the Romans. And the third thing I would say is they were completely fickle. Fickle. Curious, political, fickle. You know, I bumped into this, what I think is a, a pretty good description of being fickle. I can't stop thinking about you and my other options. <laughs> That's how they were. That's exactly what was going on with the crowd. I can't stop thinking about you, Jesus, and my other options. They were very fickle. The Pharisees, they had, get this, John wants us to see this. All the gospel writers want us to see this. They think they're in control. They think as the religious rulers of the day, they think they are pulling the strings. They are in control, and they are not. They had no idea that their lives and even their very words were being controlled by God. Let that sink in. The religious leaders of the day, those in authority, literally were being controlled by God. How can I say that? Look back at 11, verses 49 to 52. Caiaphas, the high priest, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't realize that it's better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. And then what does John tell us? He did not say this on his own. But he was prophesying that Jesus would die for the whole world. John wants us to see that because he wants us to know that even the Pharisees who fancied themselves in complete control, they weren't. Not at all. And then we see here in chapter 12, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, the, this is getting us nowhere. What a way to put it. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Church, that's prophetic because we read, we read in Revelation chapter 5 that in front of Jesus, 
On the last day of judgment, there will be people from every tribe, tongue, language, and people group all over the face of the earth that will be standing in front of Jesus, worshiping him. They were prophesying of who Jesus is, and they didn't even know it. They weren't saying this on their own. The Pharisees were being carried along by the Holy Spirit. And then the disciples And we see this in verses 14 and 15. So Jesus, we read, found a young donkey and sat on it as it was written. Don't be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Well, John tells us this. And then he, John, gives us some insight. In Zechariah chapter 9, this prophecy, hundreds of years, was given. So rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey. So John is citing Zechariah 9 as to what was happening. He's also citing Psalm 118, again, a thousand years before the fact. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is Psalm 118. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God. He has made his light shine on us with bows in hand. Join the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You see, John later realized this is exactly what was happening. And yet in the lower story, he didn't get it. In fact, we're told that in verse 16. At first, his disciples, John included, they didn't get it. They didn't see it at all. Only after Jesus was glorified did the light dawn on them that these things had been done to him. I mean, they lived it. Church, get this. They were living Palm Sunday in real time, and the disciples were missing a lot of it. They were missing what was going on. And here's, I come back to the big idea. As followers of Jesus, we need to be constantly reminded that what appears to be one thing on the surface is not at all what God is doing at a much deeper level. Church, I say that to encourage you. I say that to encourage you. We can get so wrapped up in the stuff of this world and in our fears and in this and in that and politics and division and and I get it. It's all around us. It's swirling seemingly out of control, but it isn't. We need constant reminders that what appears to be one thing, God is doing something far deeper in the upper story. So I want to give you three encouragements. One, there is so much we don't see, so much we don't understand. I encourage you with that news today. Let that sink into your heart. Really, truly, there is so much you don't see. Oh, how easy it is to live on the surface in the lower story. How easy is it to worry and fret and stress and and what about this and what about that? And I just want to tell you today, I want to remind you, there is so much we don't see, so much we don't understand. We need to trust the Lord with all our heart. Second thing I want to say today is this. Jesus isn't fooled for one second by our appearance or our words. He knows our hearts. We have to be, we must 
please be honest before him. I mean, he saw right through Judas. And yet Judas was so politically correct. He was so uh, on the surface, so, you know, in tune and so noble. But, but he wasn't. Jesus sees our hearts. And thirdly, the only way to see the upper story, church, is to humble ourselves at the feet of Jesus, and I would add, at the feet of others. We need to be just like Mary, worshiping him and serving others. Church, I'm going to tell you right now, that's where we find the upper story. It's when we're humbled, our, humble ourselves before Jesus and come before him and trust him. Literally open our hearts up before him and say, Jesus, show me. Show me who you are. I worship you. And Lord, I want to live my whole life not just loving you, but loving others. It's exactly where Mary saw the upper story. So we come to this table, church. We have the opportunity to take the bread and the cup in our hands. And I want to pray for us. Jesus, as we come to this table of communion, as we take into our hands your body and your blood, Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for this reminder, Lord Jesus, of the upper story that you are in complete control. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this Amen. morning's message. Amen. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to contact us using our online form on our website at kingstreetchurch.com or by calling us here at 717-264-4651 during our regular business hours. Be sure to stop by and see us in person at one of our five Sunday morning services, 8.15 a.m., 2 at 9.45 a.m., as well as 2 at 11 a.m. We look forward to seeing you there.